Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 on the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the church, what it means to be one in Christ. There's an old Peanuts cartoon, and I love the Peanuts cartoons, uh, in which Lucy threatens Linus. If you can imagine Lucy threatening anybody, she threatens Linus. She comes in, and Linus is watching TV, and she demands him to turn to a certain channel. And Linus says, who do you think you are to come in here and tell me what to do? And Lucy shows him five fingers, and she says, these five fingers might not look like very much individually, but when I curl them up, they become a force to be reckoned with. And so Linus says, what channel would you like to watch? And he quickly turns it, and then he looks at his five fingers, and he says, why can't you guys come together like that? There's something powerful about unity, about coming together, even if it's a fist, (laughs) coming together in unity and oneness. The Bible tells us in Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, as he's praying for his disciples, as he's praying for their mission, and our mission too, because he prays for those who will believe on him through them. So he's praying for them. He's praying for us, and he prays to the Father, make them one. May the world know who they are by their love for one another. May the world know who they are because they're one, they're unified. What does it mean for the church to be one? What does it mean for us to come together like that fist to be one weapon, a force to be reckoned with? Does it mean that we're always going to get along? Does it mean that we're always going to agree? Does it mean just the warm, fuzzy feelings that we like to ascribe to unity and togetherness? And I would suggest that it does not always mean any of those things. And there is the miracle in the whole thing. That's the miracle of Christian unity, that despite the differences, despite the times we don't get along, despite conflicts, despite disagreements, even when we don't feel the warm and fuzzies of unity, we are already made one body through Christ. We are already made one in him. You'll hear me talk about this a whole lot, the already not yet, and this is an already not yet reality. We are already one in Christ. We're already one body, one family in him. And yet Paul urges us today that there's also a not yet to this. We are one. We're one building. We're one family. We're one body. And yet Paul tells us to maintain that unity, to strive to be one. Look at what he says here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all in all. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The context of where we come to today in Ephesians chapter 4 is typical for Paul. The first uh, three or so chapters here of Ephesians are devoted to theology as Paul unpacks the deep theology of the gospel. And then as we come into chapter 4, we begin that typical Pauline transition into application. From theology to application, from doctrine to what we do now with that doctrine. In other words, Paul begins in chapter 4 with this question, what now? In chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, Paul says we've been saved by God's grace, by God's love, by God's power. We are predestined by him to belong to him. We've been given to him by Christ, and we are sealed by his Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 10, Paul elaborates on this, that just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he has raised us from spiritual death. He has saved us by his grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, but we have now been created to do good works in Christ. Then beginning in chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 3, verse 21, that brings us up to where we are today. Paul talks about how we've been brought near to God. We've been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. But not only have we been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, we've been reconciled to one another through the blood of Christ. That just as Jesus has brought us to the Father, forgiven our sins, and presents us to him, he now brings us closer to one another in Christian unity. In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about how we're being built into a building, a temple for the Spirit to dwell in, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In verses 21 through 22, this wonderful, beautiful temple for the Spirit of God. And so if we've been reconciled to God, we've been reconciled to each other by God's grace, through faith in Christ, by the powerful working of God, through his grace and love, the question comes to us in chapter 4, so what? Having been saved by God's grace, reconciled to him by the blood of Christ, being built into one body, built into one family, Paul begins this applicational section by telling us, now maintain that unity. Let's look at verses 1 through 6 again as we look at this first point, this imperative to strive for unity. If you look at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says, therefore, based on all that stuff we just talked about in these opening chapters, based on all that God has done for us in Christ, Paul says, now you do this. Therefore, now do this. And the first thing that he tells us to do is to walk 
in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What is the calling that we've received? Except that we've been chosen by God from before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 1. We've been sealed by the Spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 1. We've been saved by God's grace through faith. We're being built together as this wonderful unified temple for the Holy Spirit. And now Paul says, now walk worthy of that calling. Walk worthy. Work for it. Strive for it. Verse 2, with all humility, with all gentleness, with all patience, bearing with one another and love. I urge you to walk worthy of that calling to which you've been called with these things. And then look at this, bearing, verse 2, with one another. I think it's interesting that as Paul unpacks this deep, deep theology of who we are in Christ, what God has done for us in Christ, saving us by his grace, bringing us to him, bringing us to one another, there's a heavy one another aspect to it. That this isn't just about me and God and Christ and what he's done for me. But now he brings us together and he says, now because of what God has done, bear with one another in love. Look at verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is who you are in Christ. You belong to him. You are made one in him. And now Paul says, Maintain that. Strive for it. Work for it. It reminds me of what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. That although we've been saved by God's grace apart from our works, Paul says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2, 12. And he immediately follows that up with Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you. It's God who is at work in you, making you willing and able to do these things. Yes, we're saved by God's grace alone. We're saved through faith in Christ alone, apart from our good works. But Ephesians 2.10 says we've been saved to do good works. And part of those good works that we've been called to do now, Paul says, is to maintain this unity and to maintain this calling that God has given us in Christ with him and with each other. And look at the seriousness of this, the seriousness as we notice the source in verse 4. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I think Paul is trying to emphasize something with his repeated use of that word, one. He repeats it seven times, or says it seven times. He says, one hope, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. If we were to sum that all up into one, one statement, it would be that there is one God. And if we think about this one God who exists eternally as Father and Son and Spirit, we see an eternal sort of source for this unity that we've been given. These are three persons of the Godhead, distinct but not separate. They're unique, but they're not distinguishable in terms of being separate from each other. They're one in the spirit of love and peace and unity, one God forever in three persons. And we see in that, in their unity, a pattern for our unity. That although we're different, we have different roles, we have distinct personalities, we are called to be one. 
God, Father, Son, and Spirit were one in their purposes in creation. They're one in their purposes in salvation. They're one in the church now as they operate in that oneness. And Paul says, based on that oneness, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father and Spirit and Son, now you be one. And I want you to notice that it's not just unity for unity's sake. This is not just let's just be one and let's just get along and let's not have any conflict or any disagreements. No, Paul says this is to be one faith and one Lord and one baptism. This is unity in truth. This is unity in the faith, not apart from it. Now see, this is what liberalism has done to theology. Liberalism has done to portions of American Christianity as they have said, let's have unity for the sake of unity. Not unity in truth, not unity in the scripture, not unity in the faith of the gospel. Let's just be one and forget about all the things that make us different in terms of doctrine, in terms of theology. We ought not to talk about those things. Let's just be one and let's all just get along. Paul says, no, that's not unity at all. This isn't unity just for the sake of unity. This is unity in truth. This is unity in the faith. This is unity in who God is and what God has done. This is unity in the gospel. This is unity in the word of God, by the spirit of God, uniting us to the truth, the faith of Jesus Christ. And Paul says it's that unity that we're to fight for. It's that unity that we're to strive for. It's not automatic. It comes through faith in Christ, faith in the gospel, And in those moments of conflict and in those moments of disagreement, it's exactly then that we need to lean on this kind of unity. It's exactly when those conflicts and disagreements disagreements and differences come up that we need to place our faith more in Christ, to lean into that unity more, and to rely on the Holy Spirit to make us one in the unity of the faith and the truth. Number two today, we see we're supposed to serve in unity. We're supposed to serve in unity. Primary means are revealed here, as Paul says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul begins now to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the Spirit's operation in the body of Christ. In verse 8, Paul quotes from Psalm 68. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And what's being pictured here is that of a warrior or a king or commander that has marched into battle, that has won the victory, that has triumphed over the enemy, and now is dividing the spoils amongst his people. That's the picture here. God marching up in victory over his enemies in triumph and conquest and victory, bringing back the spoils, bringing back the gifts and distributing them to his people. And in this picture, we see the source of our unity and this idea that we're supposed to serve in the unity that God gives us through the gifts of the Spirit. And just as we are different, and just as we are unique, and just as our personalities and our ideas and our opinions are different, the gifts of the Spirit are different. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, there are many gifts There are many different varieties of gifts, just as there are different varieties of people, different personalities, different opinions in the church. There are different gifts and different ways that God has called us to serve. 
But it is this triumph, 2 Corinthians 2.14, Christ always leading us in this triumphant procession over the enemies of darkness and sin and death that we see that picture of God marching over his enemies, having victory over his enemies, giving these gifts to his people. Jesus then leads us in triumphant procession. We say, well, what was the victory that Jesus gives us? In John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, before he's about to be arrested and crucified, he says, now is the judgment of this world, and now is the ruler of this world cast down. Jesus is saying, through my cross and through my resurrection, what's about to happen through the crucifixion and the resurrection? Jesus says, that is the judgment of the world, and that is how the enemy of this world, the accuser of the brethren, that's how Satan himself is cast down and bound through my cross, through my resurrection. And as Jesus gains the victory over sin and death and hell and Satan, he rises up and he leads us, 2 Corinthians 2.14, in triumphant procession over them, and he divides the spoils to us. And what is the victory? What is the spoils? What are the gifts that he gives us? Well, it's the gifts of the Spirit. Now, there are lots of different lists in the New Testament, mostly from Paul, about the gifts of the Spirit. And we can get into all the wonderful talk about tongues and prophecy and healing. But you know what Paul emphasizes most? It's not those sensational, quote, sign gifts. Paul emphasizes love, humility, hospitality, mercy. Look at what he says about Jesus here in verse 9. He ascended. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean that also he descended into the lower regions of the earth? And he who descended and is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things and all things. Listen to what he gave, verse 11. This is an interesting list of gifts that Paul gives here. Verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Of all the lists in the New Testament of the gifts of the Spirit, whether, whether it's the, the sensational, miraculous sign gifts that we often lean to, or whether it's love and mercy and hospitality and faith, Paul here lists people as gifts of the Spirit. He lists offices as gifts of the Spirit in verse 11. That Jesus in his ascension into heaven, his exaltation, and his triumph over sin and death and hell, this is what he gives his people. Verse 11, he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. It's important to note that when we talk about apostles and prophets, Paul is speaking of the foundation on which the church is built not ongoing offices of prophets or apostles. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he talks about this. When he, he talks about the church being built together as this temple, this building. He said, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. If we were just to shorthand that for Paul now, we would say scripture. That we're built on the foundation of scripture. The words of the prophets of the Old Testament. The teaching of the apostles in the New Testament, including Paul. That's our foundation. And God has given those men in times past, spoken through those men in the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament. He says, this is your foundation. This is the gift I give to you through them, apostles and prophets. But what about today in the New Testament church? Well, we have evangelists 
those who proclaim the good news about Jesus. We have shepherds and teachers. That's that word from which we get our word pastor, that word shepherd, who were also teachers. It's interesting that Paul would use people as gifts of the Spirit. And I wonder if you often think about that. And it sounds very self-serving, I know, admittedly today, but whether it's me or any pastor that fills this pulpit or Pastor Zane or our future worship pastor or whoever God calls to lead us in a pastoral way, do you think of those people as gifts to the church? Or do you think gifts is primarily as something that happens amongst us or something that we do for each other? Do you think of God as giving gifts to the church through its leaders, through pastors, through ministers, through deacons, through teachers, through your Sunday school teachers, through ministry team leaders, through our staff? Do you think of those people as gifts that God has given to the church? And if you don't, we ought to. And then we ought to pray that God would help us to understand our gifts and our calling. You might not be called to be a pastor or a missionary or a staff member at a church or a deacon or even a Sunday school teacher or whatever the offices are. You might not fit the mold of the offices here in verse 11. But whatever you've been called and however you've been called and gifted, God has called you to do that for his kingdom. Now to the verse I was trying to reference earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 5. Paul says there are different gifts. There are a variety of gifts. Just as there are different parts of our body that do different things, there are different gifts. But he says there's one spirit. There's one Lord Jesus Christ. There's one faith. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says to use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. That part of this unity we've been called to in the body of Christ comes through these gifts. But it doesn't come through these gifts operating individual, individually apart from each other and separated from each other. Just like our members of our body serve this one body that we have, whether in a good way or a bad way. Paul and Peter says, use whatever gifts you have been given to serve others in the body of Christ together. Same thing in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Different members, unique members of the body of Christ, just as our body parts are unique and different, but we have one goal and one purpose. Many people, many gifts, one spirit, and one call. And that's what Paul says here in verse 12. What is the one goal of the various gifts? Verse 12 in Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Building up, that's that theological word edification. To build an edifice, to build a wall as we're built up in the body of Christ. And what does that look like in verses 13 and 14? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, a cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. What's the purpose of this? What is the purpose of the calling that God placed on his prophets and his apostles? What's the purpose of the calling God places now on evangelists and pastors and teachers? What is the purpose of your gifts and your calling in the body of Christ? Well, it's this, to equip the people of God for the work of the ministry. And what's the goal of that? Verses 13 and 14. To attain the unity 
of Christ, the unity of the faith in this doctrine of Christ. I think it's interesting that as Paul contrasts this to the world, verse 14, he pictures those who are not part of the body of Christ. He pictures those who are not unified in the truth. He pictures them as children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried here and there by every wind of doctrine or every teaching that comes along instead of being rooted in the truth of the gospel, rooted in Christ and rooted in the truth given to us by the Holy Spirit. Therein is the purpose of spiritual gifts. There's a lot of talk these days about spiritual gifts, especially the the, quote sign gifts of tongues and prophecy and all the flashy things that we see uh, mostly on Christian television, sadly. Paul doesn't emphasize those things ever. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, as he goes uh, to talk about those specific gifts, there's more caution than there is celebration. He doesn't forbid those things, but he gives great caution to them. Whereas what we see, Paul emphasizes love and unity and faith, hospitality and service as gifts of the Spirit. Now, I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about what your gift is. Have you ever simply asked God... What is my gift? Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to reveal your gift to you? And those Baptists and those who have some uh, differences with those who practice some of those other gifts of the Spirit, it's, it's interesting for us to think about what our gift is and maybe you're scared to ask. I would urge you by the Spirit of God and in faith, ask God what your gift is. Ask God as part of your body, filled with your Holy Spirit, what is it that you have gifted and called me to do for you and for your kingdom? What is it that you've gifted me to do for the service of your people? Not merely for my own personal edification or building up myself or exalting myself, but what have you given me to do for the sake of your people? How can I contribute to this, to the unity of the faith and the bond of peace by the Spirit and the Son of God? How have you called me and gifted me to do that? Lastly, today we see we are to grow in unity, strive for unity, serve in unity, and now to grow in unity. Look at what Paul says in verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what I mentioned earlier when we talk about the unity of the body of Christ being an already, not yet reality. In Christ, Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2, we are one. Ephesians chapter 3, we've been reconciled to each other. There's no longer two men, Paul says, Jew, Gentile, or any other distinction. There's now just one new man in Christ, one temple for the Holy Spirit, one building on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So positionally speaking, we are already one in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. No, Paul says, strive to maintain that. Be eager to maintain that speaking the truth in love, building each other up, growing up into that. When we think about this growth that we have, I want you to notice the, this beautiful triangle that Paul points us to here. If we speak the truth in love, verse 13, and we're growing up every way into him who is the head from whom the whole body is joined together, what does that mean for us as we grow together into Christ. 
If we see all of us down here on this plane, and Christ is here, and Christ is the head, and Christ is the one pouring out his love and pouring out his grace, he's the one that's enabling this growth, what happens to us on this plane as we grow up into Christ together? Well, if you notice the triangle, as we grow up closer into Jesus, we're growing closer to one another. That as we make Jesus and his gospel and his word and his truth, and we make his spirit the goal of our unity, and as we realize that Jesus is the head of the church, and he is the head of this unity, and he's the one that gives the gifts to us, as we grow together and as we serve together in him and to him and from him and through him, as we do that, we are coming closer to each other. Our focus isn't on each other merely. Our focus certainly isn't simply on ourselves. Our focus is on him. Our worship is to him. Our service is to him. And as we do that, we're naturally going to grow closer. We're naturally going to love each other more. We're naturally going to serve each other more. And all those principles that Paul unpacked at the beginning of humility and love and peace and bearing with one another, they're just going to flow from that because we're growing up into Jesus. And then Paul says in verse 16, this is like a body. Many parts joined together as one. And when each part, fingers and head and shoulders and knees and toes, is doing what it's supposed to do, 100% functioning together, Paul says this is what the body of Christ should look like, operating as one, not doing our own thing, growing up into Jesus, growing closer to each other, and as we do that, we're being fueled in this grand little cycle again and again and again by the mercy and the grace of Jesus to keep growing closer to him and closer to each other. A.W. Tozer used the illustration of a piano, multiple pianos. He said, what if we had 20 pianos and we all tuned them to one tuning fork long ago when piano tuners actually used a tuning fork to tune the first note, A, and then tuned all the other notes to that one note, that one source. Tozer says it's as if we had 20 pianos tuned to that one fork, that one note. And although there were 20 pianos with different sets of keys and different chords and different hammers and different sounds, that tonality would be one and it would be unified. He says, so it is with the body of Christ. That as we tune ourselves to the truth, we tune ourselves with the Holy Spirit, we tune ourselves and our gifts to serve one another and to love one another in the unity that God has given us in Christ. As we tune ourselves to that, one source, one note, one pitch, one purpose, one goal, one passion, one faith, one Lord, one God, we tune ourselves to that source, though we're different, no, we're unique, and no, we've been called differently and used differently. We become one, and more importantly, we make one sound. We may not always look like each other. We are not gifted the same. We will not always agree with each other. That's why verses 4 and 5 are so supernatural. Even though we're different, even though we're not gifted the same, even though we will have conflict and will disagree sometimes vehemently with each other. Verse 4, there is still one body and one spirit. There is still only one hope of salvation. 
In verse 5, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. You've all heard the old saying that blood is thicker than water. In terms of saying that our, our family is what's most important. And then when it comes to bonds and when it comes to being together and unity, family is, is central. And I'm not here to say that your family is not important. Of course, your, your family is important. I want you to think about this. The Christian across the world in the middle of a, a persecuted land where they are persecuted and put down, maybe imprisoned for the cause of Christ. That person, although they look different, and though they're from a completely different culture and they speak a completely different language than you, and although on the surface they could not be any more different than you, you are more family with them and more family to them in the gospel of Jesus than you are to your closest relative if they're an unbeliever. That is your family. That is your eternal family. Above and beyond any other unification or any other body or group or membership or so-called family on this earth is this unity in the family of God through the gospel of Jesus. And so although the old saying might go, blood is thicker than water, I think because of our one Lord and our one faith and our one baptism, we could say confidently today that water is thicker than blood. That one baptism that unites us to each other in the body of Christ is thicker than any other bond that there is because it's eternally based in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it shows us who we really are. It binds us to God. It binds us to one another. And it says this is your identity. This is who you are. This, if we were all sitting here together, this is your family. And so as we hear Paul's call to us today, as we see this truth that water is thicker than blood through our faith in Jesus Christ and that baptism that professes that faith, ask yourself this question. What am I called to do in the body of Christ? I think so often we hear sermons and we hear teachings and we often think about other people who need to hear this or maybe our eyes glance around the sanctuary or your eyes are glancing around your living room now about who needs to hear this and who needs to consider this. But what is God saying to you about how you can serve his people, about how you can use your gift so that this unity and the bond of peace might be equipped and furthered by what God has called you to do? Unity in the body of Christ is not something that comes automatically. And if you've been around the church world long enough, you've seen conflicts, you've seen fights, you've seen business meetings gone wrong, you've seen this committee or that team against this committee or that team, or, or maybe the church against its pastor or the pastor against the church or the pastor versus the deacons or the, the deacons versus the pastor. You've seen these things. And you know how hurtful they are for the testimony of a church and you know how long it takes for churches to get over that kind of disunity. And I want to say just from the moment I've been here at First Baptist Church, I've noticed a unity and a peace and a support and a oneness and a togetherness that is nothing less than supernatural. 
based on, based on things I've seen in other churches, things that have maybe been experienced here in the past. What God is doing here and what God is doing here right now is unique and it's different and it's wonderful. And I just want to urge you, maybe you've been here for a long time and you just begun to take this sort of thing for granted. This is not normal for churches to get along, for business meetings to go as smoothly as ours go. It's not normal for churches. This is the work of the Spirit of God. And I just want to implore you and ask you that as you think about how you can further that unity, you can further that peace, ask God, what is my gift? What is my calling? What is it that you've called me to do through that triumph of Jesus? What has he given me to do to maintain the unity of peace, the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace here at First Baptist Church? It's an interesting thing for us to be apart today and to talk about unity. And I think that's what the Lord laid on my heart for us to talk about. Maybe being apart today. And maybe looking forward to meeting next week, he'll press upon your heart that love for being together. Maybe you're watching or you're listening today and you've been away from us for a long time. Maybe you're a member or you were a regular attender and you're no longer here. I want to extend that invitation to you that you come be part of what God is doing here. That you seek God and that unity that he wants to give us as the body of Christ and come be part of that. As we consider what God has done for us in Jesus Christ... Let us devote ourselves once again to be one in him, to grow up into him, and to use our gifts to serve him and to serve each other. Our God and our Savior, we thank you for the opportunity to love you and to serve you together here, together. God, we thank you that in Christ you have made us one, that through his blood, in place of Two men, or all of our differences and all of our separation, you've made us one new man in Christ. We thank you that by the Holy Spirit you've set us apart and you've sealed us to be yours. And in bringing us to yourself, you've brought us also to each other. Help us never to take for granted the body of Christ. Help us never to take for granted the unity of this place. And God, help us to strive to maintain that unity, to be eager to maintain that unity in the bond of peace. Help us to use our gifts. Help us to discover our gifts and to ask how we can serve you and to serve others through what you have given us. God, this is your church. These are your people. We are your people. And we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us, that you would bind us together in the truth and the faith of Jesus Christ, that you would send new people our way, that they might experience this wonderful, life-changing gospel and truth of Jesus. God, bless us as we, I would say, go, but bless us as we stay in our homes today. Keep us safe, keep us warm, and bring us back together at the next appointed time that we can love you and serve you together. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.